from the creators of Relevant Magazine. This is the Relevant Podcast. It's Tuesday, November 19th, 2019. You're listening to The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Huckabee, here in Nashville, Tennessee, out there in Orlando, Florida, in The Relevant Podcast Studios. On the ones and twos, keeping an eye on things, making sure that we don't go off the rails, is our illustrious producer, Chandler Strang. Hello. Right next to him, keeping an eye on Chandler to make sure that he doesn't go off the rails. It's sort of a Russian <laughs> doll situation of, uh, of fail-safes. We have my friend, John David Harris. Hey, J.D. Greetings. And out there in Loveland, Virginia, a sort of a watchful eye, like Mordor, over the, like a, like a, <laughs> like a, a, a giant evil tower that, that's the miles away, but you can't escape its sight. It's our friend, Jesse Gary. Hello, hello. Jesse, I just was, I just, we just heard, we just heard that you are, are currently, you're, you're doing double duty right now. You're not only, you're not only helping produce a podcast, some, That's right. some of the finest, most high-quality audio content <laughs> available on the internet in 2019. <laughs> yep. You are also overseeing a child's birthday party That's simultaneously. Right. That's right. My daughter has turned four, and they are, they are partying like only four-year-olds can party downstairs. <laughs> so it's a big day over here. It's a big day over here. I, hopefully, there's no noise that distracts everyone, but it's a joyous occasion, and hopefully the joy translates to this podcast because, Tyler, we have a segment coming up I'm very, very excited oh, about. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's basically... Hosting this upcoming segment is like my fourth birthday all over again. <laughs> <laughs> That's the level of joy. Should we, just, I have. should we just tease it for now? I don't think I think I don't even know if we should even give away the name yet. I it's you know what? You. Let's do it. It's Let's do you. it. I mean, people get people are already fast forwarding there because well, well, first off, obviously we have a great guest. We'll, we'll, yeah, we yeah, probably tip our hat to him. Yeah, yeah I should say tip right. So we are going to be joined later on today by oh, this is a good one by David Kinneman. David Kinneman, of course, over there at Barna, a resource that we use all the time for our reporting over here at Relevant. He's got a new book called Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus into Digital Babylon. Really great conversation with him. In addition, as if, as if that wasn't enough, as if that wasn't, yeah. as if that doesn't already give the people we're giving what they you, want. We're giving you one of the smartest, most, you know, interesting people in the, in the, in the intersection of faith and culture. Someone who's just research and knows everything. We're giving you that, but now we're giving you something even more. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Because out of the generosity that we have, even on considered extra birthday present to Haley today, just a a little something extra. (laughs) 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 We've also got a game that Jesse has put together called McGee and Me Plus. That's right. It's called McGee and Me Plus. (laughs) It is. uh, It is based on the new Disney. Listen. Here's the thing, man. I'm 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 with the marketing team all day trying to come up with strategies to really tap into the cultural no, sure. zeitgeist to get those n- needles moving and get people really a buzz. So I asked them. I said, "What are the people talking about? What's the scuttlebutt out there today?" <laughs> In general, what's everyone talking about? They're like, "Well, the ever- only thing everyone's talking about is Disney Plus, the you know the new streaming service." Uh, yeah. And I was like, "All right, that's all you need to say because I've got my own twist on it. It's McGee and Me Plus, and it's a game that I promise you will never forget." Even though you'll likely very much want to after (laughs) McGee and Me feels like one of those things that you either you either know a lot about McGee and Me or you don't know what that is at all. There's probably not a lot of middle ground on the McGee McGee and Me fandom. Yeah, well, and and like I think the great thing about McGee and Me, which was a it was like a a Christian for people who don't didn't have McGee and Me in their life. uh, First off. Is probably probably better off for it, but uh, it was a a <laughs> Christian television show. But it wasn't. I to my knowledge, it was never on TV. It was like one of those shows where it was basically like what you did with all the shows on Disney Plus. You bought in VHS format in like, and they came. If my knowledge is like those like plastic VHS ones that have that really nice snap when you open it, oh, like yeah, those sure. cases. You know, oh, nice. sometimes yeah. like there's like kind of cushiony on the outside. You know, it felt really special when you get that new McGee and me VHS tape. But anyway, it followed the adventures of a boy named Nick 
and his little mm-hmm. buddy who happened to be a, a a cartoon that he drew that came to life and helps him navigate uh, relatively uncomplicated moral situations uh, <laughs> that really test his faith. But my my question is the logic with McGee and me. Like no one else can see McGee. Yeah. It's never really clearly established. The mythology is very poorly yeah, it's very explained. Weird. <laughs> It's and like never, you don't even know. Like, is it is it all in Nick's mind? Yeah, is it is, like, yeah. is it like a dream? Yeah. yeah, right. Or is it like, who knows? There's a lot of unanswered questions, and the series hasn't uh, been active in a while. But like I said, Disney Plus is making us think about a lot of old cartoons. So we just haven't seen. You know, we got the old X Men on, on, uh-huh, on, yeah, on the on the Disney Plus. You got all those old weird Disney movies. They maybe saw once as a kid and kind of forgot about. Those are all back. So I said, why not? Why not dust off McGee? McGee and me. I mean, you know, they've been stagnant far too long. You got to milk those nostalgia. You know, that's just there. It's just sitting there. We're talking about it. They've done nothing to to raise to get this level of of, uh, marketing from us. And yet here we are. We're doing it anyway. And I would love if anybody out there, I believe this was a Focus on the Family production, if I remember correctly. If anybody out there at Focus wants to come on and answer some of our questions about the internal logic, the the, the sort of the lore of McGee and me, (laughs) my questions have questions. It it was a very confusing, even for children where you're willing to kind of take it all. You're just like, I don't care, whatever. Like I could, I could, you could swallow anything in those days. He got bit by a spider. He has spider powers. No problem. I don't care. Yeah. Whatever. That, that works. Even then, this one this one raised a lot more questions than it ever answered. Like when Nick is talking on. to McGee, when Mick, Nick is talking to little McGee, is people just looking around like, oh boy, Nick's talking to himself again. <laughs> he just yeah. does this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, trust me. He oh, does this. Anytime, yeah. <laughs> anytime he's tempted to cheat, anytime he finds himself possibly caught in a lie, he's just going to talk to himself. And, and, and I also thought it was weird that like McGee never had like a, like a clear, like objective like it wasn't like he was the moral center of the show no, it wasn't no, like mcgee's like no. giving him pretty advice conflicted as well he yeah, wasn't like, like Gemini cricket he wasn't given no. he wasn't dispensing good it was advice. like a guide no, no he just no. like was literally going through the same things nick was and not providing him answers i could see this being a very unhelpful imaginary cartoon character uh-huh. to carry around <laughs> he was both the like, angel and the devil on the yeah, shoulder yeah. he kind of played time, double duty well, yeah, and, he, and here's the, I mean, here's the question no one really wants to, to address if I, if I'm going to oh. be honest with you, because, you know, this was a, a, a feature of focus on the family. So faith f- constantly came up in the Religion, show. Like, yeah, it, it, it was a you big know, factor. and so, I mean, what the question we're at, left to ask is, is McGee saved? Is mm, McGee yeah. going to spend eternity in cartoon <laughs> hell, which is basically a low budget Christian show? Or, you know, does he have a shot? Does he have a shot? Does at he even the have a soul? Th- yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. you. We don't, know. We because, don't know. Because, you know, Nick was created by God, but Nick created McGee. So yeah. it's very complicated and very way, troubling. Nick might be the god of McGee's world, Ooh, yeah, uh, yeah, but, yeah, a, but a very true. unreliable one with a with a much Not a, flimsier yeah. moral compass. <laughs> Once you start asking these questions, like I said, the questions have questions, and I feel like it wasn't super well thought through by the focus in the family. If staff. I was a cartoon who was brought to life by some human overlord, I'd be pretty scared if he's sneaking into <laughs> R-rated movies. Yeah, I'll right. tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> It's not the kind of person I want running the show. <laughs> watching those 3D scary monster movies. I remember that episode. Right. He, Nick's not a great oh, yeah. dude. He Night always the did freaks. the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah, Night exactly. of the Blood Freaks. That's right. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. I had it in the can. I still have a McGee piggy bank. <laughs> oh, you do? So that's where I put my pennies. Yeah. You have a McGee and me piggy bank? Yeah. What? How do we? How are we? It's, just, it's you're just now dropping this. Kind of, where did you even come across this type of merchandise? Probably family Christian bookstore twenty years ago. Is it? A, is it McGee? <laughs> longer, like, is 25. it just his head? It's it's McGee sitting on books. Mm. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That is quite the uh, item. Yeah. A lover quite. of knowledge, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I did see when I was in like second grade or third grade, they showed an episode of McGee and Me at my public like school but really? they trimmed it really? out they trimmed it down to like remove all the spiritual content what? so they like cut like five or six minutes out of the show and the only reason i knew it is because they also had it you know 
at my church. I mean, watch it in like children's church or whatnot. But I remember thinking like, this is so crazy. They're showing McGee and me at school. And then all of a sudden it'd be like, and remember to be a nice person. And you're just like, oh. Why am I not surprised? (laughs) Why am I not surprised to find out that godless America yanked all the (laughs) faith content out of McGee and me? Yeah. yeah, Surprise, surprise. Prayer out of public school. Now they want God out of McGee and me. Now the, now the lesson gets even more unsophisticated. The whole lesson of the entire episode without God in it is don't vandalize an elderly person's home, which again was an entire episode of McGee and me. It was like they ran out of like of things that like the average kid would run into. Like, should I tell my parents a lie? Should I cheat on the test? Uh-huh. Should I, y- you know, try to get ahead in the big neighborhood BMX race? No, it's like, no, well, it wasn't I- BMX. It was a skateboarding race. That's right. And, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and it's like let's we've already covered all that we got to get creative here well vandalism let's let's the youth of america today are very conflicted about whether or not they should vandalize these old people i think houses. it was a i think it was a, a hate crime too because i think he was a I think native it was. american yeah, generation native american. yeah he was yeah. indigenous yeah that's very it's a very troubling episode it's very troubling yeah, things got dark for nick quick i wonder if that you know who i'd rather talk to then the person who created the the internal logic of McGee and me is that guy who played Nick. He's out there somewhere. Yeah. He's just living yeah. his life. I don't think he ever. I don't think he really broke it in Hollywood. I, I think that was. <laughs> I think McGee and me was kind of his career peak. But I'm sure he's doing well. I'm sure he's I mean, happy. Maybe he didn't want to act after that. Maybe he's <laughs> living <laughs> off those pretty bank residuals. Uh, speaking of of weird McGee and me tieovers with uh, Hollywood, the. Yeah nerdy kid that was picked on in the skateboard race episode uh-huh. of McGee yeah. and Me oh, yeah. Yeah, ends yeah, up yeah. being the kid in Jurassic Park yeah. that says, that doesn't look scary to me, more like a six foot turkey. That's the same kid. <laughs> Wait, the yeah. kid who at the beginning, who's kind of a throwaway he, gag for, yeah. Uh, yeah. for the that raptor made it. thing. Yeah. That's the same kid? That's like, he's the kid that movies. made it. Yeah, yeah, he's another a legend. Too. Let me look him up. Wow. A legend. Wow. Good for him. Good An for him. Icon. Up until until him, he was the biggest crossover artist other than jars of clay (laughs) in in any kind of Christian media. It's it's that kid. It's Kanye West and jars of clay. Those are the biggest crossovers. Yeah, Yeah. it was he was proof that he was proof of concept. The kid from the skateboard episode of McGee and me. Yeah. And jars of clay flood. I heard that on the I heard that on like pop radio. Would it be weird to be like the kid who was like directed by the director of episode five of McGee and me? And Steven Spielberg, and Steven Spielberg. In, like, in the course of like three or four years. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, life uh, Mr. comes, Spielberg, at, you. Life comes um, at you fast. Yeah. On my last set, we did this a little differently. Are we closing in prayer? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we got we got a lot more McGee and me to cover, and we are going to. This is going to be a McGee and me episode. So you've been warned. Get out now if you if you don't if you're not liking this. This is what the whole show is going to be like. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, slices. You're listening to Listerine by Dayglow. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Still Here by Honeymoon. And that's what I'm saying. The kid who played Nick is still here he's somewhere. There, somewhere. <laughs> we just don't we know hope. where. Yeah, but he's, I mean, I, hope, in, I guess I shouldn't speak he's, too. He's too. in prison. He's in prison. No, <laughs> I have no idea. I, I, I hope not. I hope not. I hope. Without, without I hope. McGee to, to steer <laughs> right. him in the right or wrong direction. <laughs> without a fictional cartoon to lead him away from cheating in the big neighborhood skateboard race. Who knows where he ended up? So. Yeah, who knows? Heck, it could have been McGee that talked him into doing that big taking on that big gig and the uh, bank heist and yeah. you know <laughs> McGee's out, out, run, out on the lamb still but Nick is yeah. locked behind yeah. bars having to serve yeah. time <laughs> well now it is time for our look back at some of our favorite news stories of the week it's time for Slices Jesse, what do you got for us? Yeah, so this one comes, I have a twofer. Uh, The first one comes to us from the British Academy of Sound Therapy, which, by the way, what an awesome band name that would be. The British Academy of Sound Therapy. Yeah, does that that mean like therapy for sound or like that that their therapy makes sense? What is it? 
sound <laughs> therapy. It's, yeah, it's sound. It's actually, you know, I read it wrong. It's the British Academy of Sound Sound Therapy. So oh, it's very okay. sound sound therapy. <laughs> okay. um, they did a new study, and it, and a lot of research went into this because they studied the musical effects on. Uh, nearly 8,000 people around the world. And they asked them different things uh, about their physical and mental health and uh, how relaxed and uplifted and, and, and what their kind of emotional disposition was. And they determined the, the sweet spot for how much music you should listen to each yeah. day for maintaining good health. I want to go each around day. every day. Okay. How much music do you think the British Academy of Sound sound therapy uh, <laughs> uh, would recommend that, that you listen to. Okay. Hmm. I mean, obviously it kind of depends on the music a little bit, but, but uh, I'm going to say on average, I'm going to say, I'm going to go with uh, at least 45 minutes. Oh, 45 oh. JD. Uh, can you give me, is it minutes or hours? Um, uh, it's minutes. It's minutes. It is minutes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, 160 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's, 90. Wow. Okay. 90? 90, right in yeah, the middle. Yeah. Man, okay. that's a lot of music. I don't, I don't think I listen to 90 minutes of music like a week really? anymore. I mean, I'll listen to like a, a, a tune here or there. But they say you should listen to, maybe this. Maybe I should, because they say you should listen to 78 minutes of music oh. each day for optimal nice. health. So over an hour of your day should be spent listening to music. However, they also found that Can even you if you just... Stuff? What's Can you that? Be like driving, or does it have to be like sitting down yeah, with headphones on? No, do you know passive? Like, yeah, I, I think it can be pretty passive. They said that okay. the main thing is that it's a variety of musical types, and uh, they said it's really uh, important actually that um, like sad music that causes some degree of self reflection is in the mix. So within that, you know, hour and fifteen minutes oh, or so of listening to make sure you have a pretty good. A variety. They said that the two most important are relaxing music, but also like reflective music. But they said, listen, if you don't, uh, if you don't have seventy-eight minutes, even if you only took eleven minutes per day, it could uh, music can also add uh, some therapeutic benefits. So, uh, you know, I think the the takeaway here is we probably should be listening to more music. You know, so uh, it's good for your health. All right, number two. This is the one I really wanted to talk about. Uh, Tyler, you first brought this one to me, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since. Oh, I know exactly where we're going with this one. It, it is a, a a new film that evidently, according to The Hollywood Reporter, set off a bidding war with HBO Max, Paramount, and uh, Lionsgate. Um, they all wanted a piece of this movie, and the movie is called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. It stars one of my favorite actors, someone who I've always felt very close to, uh, a, a, an American icon, the one, the only Nicolas Cage. All right. For the next moment, I'm going to read uninterrupted the official <laughs> description of this film brought to you by uh, The Hollywood Reporter. Here it is. Uh, Nick, Nick, Nicholas Cage plays, uh, the character, uh, a character who is desperate to get a role in a new Tarantino movie while also dealing with a strained relationship with his teenage daughter. Okay. So Nicholas Cage is portraying Nicholas Cage as Nicholas Cage is trying to get a movie in a Tarantino movie while also, you know, trying to mend a relationship with his daughter. So it's a little meta him playing himself, trying to get mm-hmm, a role in a movie. Mm-hmm. But it's I like, okay. Like those. I always like those, you know, when, it, when the movies are willing to get, when, you're, when they're cast as themselves. Yeah. And, uh, those are always yeah. good. That Jean-Claude Van Damme from a few years back. Like, yeah, yeah. Good. Exa- yeah. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, you got me. It seems like a pretty straightforward plot, too. I, I, an actor trying to get a role in a big movie while, uh, you know, that's mm-hmm. enough for most movies. It's right like there. Birdman or something, you know? Uh-huh. An actor yeah. at, a, at a career crossroads roads while also trying to mend the relationship with his daughter. It could have stopped there, but it's going to keep going. He also occasionally talks to an egotistical 1990s version of himself who rides him for making too many crappy movies and for not being a star anymore. So there's also like this meta ghost Nick Cage. So it's Nick Cage trying to audition for a movie, playing Nick Cage, trying to mend the relationship with his teenage daughter while also interacting with cocky nineties, Nick cage. But this, this is still Birdman. Like, (laughs) 
it, it's just wait because okay. we're just getting warmed up. The cage character is also under a mountain of debt and find himself and finds himself forced to make an appearance at the birthday party of a Mexican billionaire who happens to be a fan of Cage's work and secretly hopes to show him a script on which he's been working. The plot just thickens. Okay. Now he's going to perform for a Mexican billionaire and it isn't even got to the most interesting or good part yet. I'll continue. While he bonds with the man, Cage is informed by the CIA that the billionaire is actually a drug cartel kingpin who has kidnapped the daughter of the Mexican presidential nominee and is recruited by the U.S. government to get intelligence. (laughs) But wait, the situation spirals even more dramatically when the Mexican when the Mexican brings Cage's daughter and his ex-wife for reconciliation. And when their lives are on the line, Cage takes on the role of a lifetime. Guys, this this movie just. That's As I'm reading close. it, it just gets better. The, the The synopsis of that movie, honestly, is one of the best movies I've ever seen or heard. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would pay, like, just that synopsis alone. N- having never seen the movie, I would pay $12 for the movie ticket. If, if someone said, hey, I'll give you the greatest movie synopsis of all time. It'll cost you 12 bucks. I'm in. I am in. This 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 could be the movie that, uh, you, you know, I think I think because it's so meta, I, I could see it bringing Cage some, some much needed credibility right now. I, I I hear in my head the trailer voice, you know, the movie trailer, like, like the in a world, that guy yeah. at the very end, Nick Cage is Nick Cage <laughs> and Nick Cage is Nick Cage. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I love it. And, and Nick Cage is the only one who could pull this off. And I'm not even sure if he read this, if, if he was if, like, he's been in so many insane movies and just terrible movies that I think he reads this synopsis and he was just like, Okay, this sounds okay. Like this is not, this is part for the course room. He wasn't like what? He was just like okay, yeah, let's do it. I it's like the uh, that old SNL joke. It's like uh, uh, you know Nick Cage. What what happens when Nick Cage's uh, agent's phone rings? It, he just answers it and goes, "I'll take it." You know, like literally, he's doing anything right now. So I think I wonder if too if some screenwriter was like, I wonder if Nick Cage really will take any role. Let's just write the most insane idea. <laughs> idea ever and just see if he takes it how funny, just, how like funny would it be experiment. though if uh, mm-hmm. if if like they wrote this whole movie and nick cage passed on it so they just cast Kiefer sutherland in the role and they didn't change it they didn't change it it's still nick cage but but, they, but it's just the role of a lifetime the role of a lifetime for Kiefer oh, sutherland he has to truly inhabit the role of nicholas cage in the nicholas cage biopic <laughs> i love it i'm here for it anyway it's coming it's it's in Set off bidding war. I'm very excited about it. The unbearable uh, uh, weight of. Do you know the tone of it? Is it like serious? Is it a dark comedy? Is it like? That's a really good question. I think I think the tone is unintentionally awesome. Like it's awesome for reasons that it didn't intend to be. You know, because it could be sort of like meta, funny commentary on that. Like, or it could just be a straightforward action like this could be this could just be like a like back to the national treasure days of cage's yeah, career yeah, yeah. and and i would not be complaining if, no, if that they should the be case. they should be teaching national treasure in film school yeah <laughs> i think they're on disney plus i think it's time revisiting. for a whole new generation to discover this all right jd what do you got <laughs> well i don't go looking for these stories these stories find Uh-oh. me chandler would you please uh-oh that's right. Last time, last time we were all on this podcast together, we talked about stories from beyond the grave, about haunted roads in the woods and mysterious <laughs> orbs. Well, just this week, new information was released about an encounter that two fishermen in Sao Paulo, Brazil had with an unidentified flying object. For some reason, all of the evidence had gone missing until right now. These two fishermen were out one day fishing when all of a sudden they saw a strange saucer-like craft hovering over a nearby island. They were so afraid they dove into the bottom of the boat to try to hide from whatever it could have been. They ran home, or they rode home, and then ran home. The next day they came out to the site and found... Not only evidence of the craft, but depressions in the ground, burned grass, 
and markings of where the feet were stood. They contacted the local government officials that came out and took photos, and those government officials did nothing with the evidence mm. until mm. now oh, it has been released and there are the photos online that you can see of what looks like a square depression in the ground <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love i love like the build up to all weird paranormal stuff it's like all this crazy stuff happened and finally we've got the evidence we've been looking for what is it well, that wet grass over there is kind of flat. So, yeah. I mean, what could have done that? I tell. I didn't do it. Did you do it? I didn't do it. I also Aliens. like that they were like, they claim that like we saw this hovering craft hovering over the island. And when we came back the next day, we found evidence of four like pedestals that the craft must have been sitting on. It's like, wait a minute. I thought you said that it was hovering over the island. Well, after we left, it must have landed, I guess. So, so this is in Brazil. This is where this that is happened. In, this is in Sao Paulo, Brazil. That is mm-hmm. right. Um, two fishermen. It, this happened in 1995, and they contacted the local authorities who went out and took photos and evidence, and there's photos of the scorched grass and the flattened area. Uh, my favorite part of this entire story is they also released the eyewitness, um, like the eyewitnesses sat down and drew a photo of what they claim to have seen. And I, is there a way for us to like add it on the show notes or something? Cause it's sure. just, we'll put it on the that episode. Yeah, we'll drop it in the, yeah. on it's the just that page. Good. Yeah. Hang on. I'm going to send it right now to we'll post uh, it on Twitter a little later. Yeah. Well, let, let, let me, let me ask you this while you describe this JD. Um, uh, you, so th- this happened in 1995, but they just went public with it this week. Did they explain why they waited, uh, <laughs> you know, 25 years or whatever? I think it's because, you know, they're going to claim that it's because the evidence wasn't <laughs> clear enough. But I think it's that the evidence was so clear and so damning that they just couldn't let this out. And I think what's happening now is we're at the moment where there's a shift in the zeitgeist. And they know that it's time for the truth to come out about the aliens that are inhabiting Sao Paulo, Brazil. I would like to point out to you now that I've sent you the image. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at um, it. Yeah. That uh, in their terrified state, not only did they take the time to draw it in full marker color crayons or <laughs> full color, <laughs> but also they took the time to um, to make sure that we knew that their boat was blue and that all the trees surrounding the area um, also had little sprouts growing around it. It's just, it looks it's like a, a really drawing. detailed, it's a very, de- it's like, it's like a little kid's detailed drawing where they get some like, they get like, they pick some kind of strange details to really ho- focus in on. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's like, well, it would have been helpful to get more idea about the spacecraft, not what a child feels like a hillside looks like with, with, <laughs> right. with, a, with a box There's of Crayola markers. More, put into each of the trees as there is into the UFO itself. Right. Which yeah. looks government like officials lips. are like, listen, I yeah. didn't, I didn't need to see like fish jumping in the river. I appreciate that level of detail, but we're really more focused here <laughs> on the strange object <laughs> yeah. hovering below, uh, beside you. Yeah. Not the nice little dock on the distance, but thank yeah, you the, for that the, level of detail. Yeah, the, the UFO itself does have, cause it's just, I guess it's shiny or white or something. Cause there's no detail in the actual mm-hmm. disc object, but the grass, and the even the water, they made sure that you knew that there were a lot of little tiny waves yeah, on the water. I would like to point out that day. it does it does look like the um, the four like landing struts that they you know supposedly found evidence of later on does look like they were added after the fact because of how the lines true. cross <laughs> over true. it. Yeah. So they were like, oh yeah, we drew this picture like, of this oh, hovering yeah, UFO. Here's my question and why I, I remain a skeptic. Why can't aliens ever show up to a decent artist? Because everyone that I see, everyone that I see that has an encounter with alien, let's be honest, sucks at drawing. <laughs> it would be. It seems like I would be a lot more compelled to to, to think that something's out there if they would just show up to one halfway good artist. I'm right. not saying like if the if the aliens showed up to Nick from McGee and Me. They might all have crazy pompadour yellow hairdos, but at least it'd be detailed enough for us to understand <laughs> what's, going on. what's going on here. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so aliens, if you're listening, 
Just go to yeah. one of our kind that actually one has better utensils than what appears to be gigantic <laughs> like colored Crayola markers, magic yeah. markers. <laughs> yeah. And two, someone who's taken an art class once in their life. That's I all. also That's like all. to think of the idea that that when they called the authorities, whomever they may be, it was like the Brazilian um, like UFO investigator authorities, and they showed up and they're like, "Would you be able to draw?" And they're like, "Absolutely." And they're like, "Great, here are your materials." And they slid across the desk like a blank sheet of paper. of like yeah, construction paper and like, like a box. Glue. Open boxes and a pipe, and pipe cleaners. Yeah. <laughs> the curly Q scissors yeah. that you use it's, for like construction paper when you're yeah. a little kid. Yeah. Like, we, we, we raided the Sunday school closet listen, and we listen. found all these materials. Yeah, Give listen, we're, I want you to make it as detailed as possible and to aid you, I'm going to give you glue and macaroni. So really make this thing pop. Yeah. <laughs> We got to know what these aliens look like and what they're up to. So use as much macaroni as you need to. Yeah. So this has now been registered as, um, as a close encounter of the second kind. And so there it is. Close encounter of the second kind in South hollow Mm -hmm. in 1995, (laughs) about when McGee and me went off the air. So it's a powerful, powerful image, powerful story. I believe. Wow. I believe. I, know, I mean, I'm sold at this point. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> my work here right. is done. I'm going to, I'll take a minute. I'll, I'll do, uh, I'll, I'll read my science here. Speaking of uh, sort of the, 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 the line between real and fake and knowing what's true and what's not true. Uh, this is going to take us right back in there. So I, how are, are you guys, how familiar are you with the Fast Furious franchise? Are, are you diehards? Extremely. <laughs> I've, I've never seen one. So. Oh, we're <laughs> we, both ends of the scale represented yeah, we here. Are both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. I finally, the this year, I watched franchise. them all. I had never seen a, a single one, and then I just you decided every, this was the every year. one of them. I, went, I watched every one of them like in like a two month period. Me and me and some friends just plowed through them all. Does that include Tokyo Drift? Because I, I heard saw the, that even that's I the... saw the bad ones too. Okay. What what was your takeaway? From what's your takeaway? A quick for I'm just curious, and we don't have to harp yeah. on the, the the artistic merits of the Fast and Furious franchise. But as someone who recently binged all of them, I'm curious to know what what are your thoughts about the franchise? It, it's it starts out pretty straightforward, just like you know your your straightforward early aughts action like bro action movie franchise. It gets pretty bad pretty quickly. Things go yeah. downhill rapidly. Yeah. And then at some point, like four or five, it just turns... And I'm not telling anybody people don't know. I know this. But the corner that it turns is probably the most impressive franchise just rebrand with the same actors for the most part that that you can imagine. Like all of a sudden they have these just... Just these guys who were on the street working cars, like working scrap metal yep. cars, are now doing CIA black ops mission. They don't explain it. There's no reason for them to be doing this. They do, and they don't expect. And it's like, it's similar to the McGee and Me lore, where it's like, don't ask questions. You do, we don't. That, that that's not what this is. That's not this kind of movie. Just yeah. go. They're they're they're. It doesn't matter now. They're doing. They're running. They're they're running national security, extremely high level national security missions for the U.S. government or very or other governments higher than the U.S. government. And that's just the way it is. They're the only ones who can do it. The, the, Don't worry about it. The stakes increase insanely between one and wherever we are now. Because in one, it's like, you know, they're trying to bust. A, a, they're not even like just like thieves. They're trying to just bust underground car racers. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. the stakes are, hey, they're, they're going to like literally the crime is. You know, uh, Vin Diesel and his guys are just going too fast regularly. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's the main thing. Like we better get someone on stunt that. Is the biggest stunt is we have to go faster than we did earlier in the movie, and, yeah. and they do, and that's the that's the big action sequence. Yeah, exactly. The, like the the stakes are get them to slow down. Okay, in bed <laughs> with them. See if you can get them to pump the brakes. Actually, figuratively, because they're drag racing and that's dangerous. Yet yeah, later. They're like racing nuclear subs with the fate of the world. It is an impressive increase in stakes. Like I do, I can't, they're like jumping out of skyscrapers in Ferraris, you know, and, and you know, doing the, the coolest heist the world has ever seen with the fate of the universe. And it's, it is a very good, uh, uh, so, uh yeah. ratcheting up of the stakes. Yeah. I, so I, I would say that I, there were, there were parts of it where I really had to struggle through like two or three, even four a little bit are, are pretty are pretty bland and get pretty bad like just kind of the worst way an action movie can be but it comes around it really fast it really five. bounces back in a yeah. big way fast five yeah. is a real it was a real game changer yeah so <laughs> as everybody knows there is a, there's kind of a, a very tragic part of the fast and furious story which is that uh back in 2013 
Paul Walker, who was the the star of the first one and was a, a presence in all and all of them up to that point, uh, died in a, in a car crash. That was a, was a very shocking and, and very sad and very strange out of nowhere death. And then they gave him in the next movie, they gave him what was genuinely a very touching little send off for Paul Walker's character, Brian. And I think if I remember right, they had to use his brothers as kind of stand ins on set yeah. for the last part of yeah. the filming of that. Right. Yeah. And then there was a, a scene at the very end where the whole, the family, our, our whole crew lets, uh, Brian like drive off into the sunset. And it was like in memorial, like in memory of Paul. And, and there was a, a song and it was really like, uh, it, it was, a, I would say a, like a heartfelt moment. It felt very authentic and it was nice, but that was then that was fast Fear. That was fast seven. Now for the next fast furious movie, the fast and furious nine, Sources are reporting that this movie will feature the return of Paul Walker's character of Brian via the magic of CGI. They're going to bring him back in in some capacity. We don't know how much. We, you know, I don't know if he's going to yeah. be a main a major character again, or if this is going to be kind of like Princess Leia was in the in Rogue One, mm-hmm. which is a really quick before you really even have time to register that it's not real, you, you see it and you go, but they're going to, but they're going to bring him back in again. Uh, apparently with the permission of the, the Walker family. So I, I'm curious about you guys' thoughts about this. This has been a source of, of some contention online. It was brought up originally for this movie uh, that's coming out next year called finding Jack, which has actually cast James Dean in a lead role. And James Dean, of course, has been dead for 65 years, but they believe that through through uh, using technology, they can cast James Dean in this role again. That is people very concerned and kind of upset about the ethics here, the morality of this. Is it right to cast somebody who has no say in their performance in a movie after they passed away? And what do you guys think about this? Where are you at on something like this? It does seem like questionable ethics. I guess it, I guess part of it comes down to like a state law. I mean, the, the people who control yeah, yeah. the the estate yeah. of James Dean or Paul Walker, but it, it also seems like new territory because whenever those law, even if those laws were written, written very recently, using someone's actual physical likeness, not just as like an endorsement, but actually reanimating them in a lifelike way. It doesn't seem like how could they possibly consent to the content? You know, yeah, exactly. No longer alive. It seems. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think it would seem like an enjoyable movie. I mean, going thing. It's like knowing that Paul Walker and James Dean both tragically died young in car accidents. Right. You know, like I don't know that I. I really have a desire to see them back on screen, knowing that it's you know they they died tragically and and young. You know. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that there was, especially in the case of. Paul Walker, there was a real attempt that felt like to try to do him right, do his legacy right by this franchise, which of course he was most famous for, that felt very like uh, in a kind of a rare moment from Hollywood that felt very real. And and it, obviously it, it did seem like Paul was a friend to these guys. It seems like everybody, yeah. not everybody on set, but Paul Their Walker family. was a yeah. beloved presence on set. And, and so I'm just kind of curious about yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've got a lot of... I, I would say right now, I'm kind of leaning towards... I'm not really a fan of the ethics Yeah, here. I don't love the idea of it. JD, what do you think, man? Well, yeah, I know that the similar pro- problem came up uh, when Carrie Fisher passed away. Exactly, yeah. Um, and they had to, you know, wrap up... Uh, I believe she had passed away before they had finished episode seven, and then... Or eight. And then now that they're working on nine, they had talked about how they weren't going to use... Um, you know, CGI to kind of resurrect her character, even though it was supposed to be like her movie. Um, and now they're, they figured out ways to utilize some unused footage from some of the previous, the previous films to like cut together sequences so that it makes sense with the story still. But, um, but they, they're not like, you know, reanimating the person. Yeah. The the mm-hmm. problem for me in a lot of this is 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 there's a technical aspect of it where it's it's like the technical they're still in the uncanny valley 
where yeah. like yeah. it almost yeah. looks real, but it doesn't. And like you were mentioning uh, the other Star Wars film, Rogue One, where they used like a CGI young Princess Leia in there. And they also used um, a CGI. And I do not remember the, the uh, actor's Peter name. Cushing. Yeah, Peter Cushing. Peter that's Cushing. right. Yeah. And like it was it was impressive for like a second because it's like throwing back to a character. And then when he became the main character of like the main villain of the film instead of Ben Mendelsohn, who is a fantastic yeah. living and working actor, it almost felt cheap to the actors. And that's, I, I think to me where I land presently is sure. There's a legal issue uh, where it comes to like the estate. And also there's like a, a technological issue, but I feel like to me it, it's showing how much, and maybe this has always been the case, but it's showing how little regard Hollywood in general has for the art of the, like the art form of the actor themselves, because mm. it's not just the likeness yeah. that you're casting when you're casting an actor, you're also casting their skill and like, what yeah. would they bring to the role? I mean, when I remember when they, you know, announced Heath Ledger was going to play the Joker in Nolan's the dark Knight, everyone was like, what Heath Ledger really? And then he comes out of the gate with this crazy performance. That's just mm-hmm. fantastic mm-hmm. that no one would have expected. And I feel like it's the same way. Like, okay, so you cast the CGI version of James Dean to play this movie, but you have no idea how James Dean would have actually played this character. And you're going to have to go out and find voice actors and body doubles to like portray James Dean. Well, why not just hire that person as opposed to the cash grab of being able to flash James Dean's name across the top, which (laughs) honestly they may have waited a little too long. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> to get it because I don't know how many yeah. people out there just waiting patiently for the next for James the Dean James film. Dean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think there's some fun things that they can do with like uh, like this Nicolas Cage movie that's coming out that you, you guys mm-hmm. were talking about earlier, how you can do things where you have the actor playing both like both versions of themselves and they use CG to to kind of de-age them. And I know they've played with that in some of the Marvel movies and stuff. And I think that's fun. That's like a fun trip yeah, to the movies. Yeah, but they're still alive. Right, know? they're still exactly. alive. And they are, act- as an actor, they are adding to that performance. They're able to like show us what they were like as that character or, yeah. you know, in that age, that time. And I think that in that, in that regard, it's no difference than than like uh, movie makeup. But this was also a problem back in the 90s when they did the Back to the Future sequels because they decided to, in Back to the Future 2, um, have uh, George McFly's character in it, even though the actor who had portrayed George McFly in the original film did not want to take part of the sequels. And mm. he, there was a big lawsuit over it because he was accusing oh, them of using his likeness. Story. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, accusing them of using his likeness and not only his likeness, but also his performance. Um, basically hiring an actor to pretend to be uh, uh, his, you know, portray his performance of George McFly and it became this big stink. And I think it's, it's strange that this was starting then when the technology wasn't there. And now that the technology is starting to get there, it's starting to kind of become a more accessible thing, even though the legality of it wasn't ever settled. It was yeah. still like a thing that's floating uh-huh. in the air. So uh-huh. yeah, that's, that's, I guess where I stand is like, I don't think they're there yet technologically, but even if they were, I think it kind of robs something from the ability of the actor to bring something unique and unexpected to a role. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. I mean, it's an interesting trend. It's an interesting problem. Yeah. yeah. But it does feel like uh, I would never, uh, uh, this doesn't really happen anyway in really any uh, tech sphere. And I certainly wouldn't expect it to happen in the, in in Hollywood where people stop to ask like, what are the ethics of what (laughs) we're doing here? Is this like the right thing to do? Uh, I, I doubt there's too many, ethics advisory people on Hollywood boards or whatever, asking these questions. But I suppose in this case, the real, the question would really be for the Walker family uh, or, or the Fisher family or however they, you know, as, but as this happens more and more, making sure that those estates have a lot of say in this um, is really important. And that's not always, you know, you can't guarantee that's always going to be the case because a lot of times these people are, they get muscled out of the conversation and who has to say, is it, is it uh, Walker's? Uh, is it his, his widow? Is his parents? Yeah, what happens to his children. disagreement yeah. there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. that's just kind of a tough one. But 
interesting to know. We'll keep an eye on it. I'll be interested to see if that some of the backlash makes the the franchise reconsider some of the what this report is so far. They have not really confirmed the report either way. So we'll see what happens. And we will report back when we hear it. And that'll do it for Slices. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, David Kinneman joins us. Listening to Really Truly by Novacation. Today's featured interview is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a clean landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or even an appealing online store, it's all possible with Squarespace. They have award-winning templates, customizable settings, and of course, powerful e-commerce tools. And right now, Squarespace is offering Relevant Daily listeners a special deal. Head over to squarespace.com slash relevant for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your site, you can use the offer code RELEVANT to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash relevant. Well, our guest today is David Kinneman. He's the president and strategic leader of the Barna Group. He's the author of the best-selling book, Unchristian, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity, and the Barna Report, Teens in the Supernatural. I recently spoke to David about his new book, Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to follow Jesus in digital Babylon and what makes today's Christians so resilient. I, I love getting to talk to Dave. Uh, we, we really love Barno. The work they do has been so helpful for our coverage here. And getting talking about this new book, the, the first thing I wanted to know is why this book? He has so much research. They have so many numbers. How did he decide that this was really the angle he wanted to take for his uh, first book and for us in a little while? Here's what he said. Yeah, for me, um, the... I've spent a lot of time really the last decade plus, which is weird. I mean, I feel like I'm a, definitely a middle-aged person now, you know, 45 years old. Um, I remember the very first um, article that went sort of viral on Barna.com, which was, you know, the 20 somethings struggle to find their places in, tw- in, in, uh, in Christian churches. And I was a 20 something at the time that I wrote it. So it's been almost 15, was well, 15, 16 years. And, um, and, and so I've, I've felt this large burden personally, professionally to try to help connect the generations. I did a book called Unchristian in 2007, a book called You Lost Me uh, in around 2011. And, and so I've been really passionate about trying to understand the faith journey story of millennials, Gen Z, trying to help connect the dots. And so Faith for Exiles, this new project is I kind of think of it as an end of the trilogy. We're in the Star Wars year. Uh, uh, it's the end of the trilogy. Uh, you Lost Me was young non-Christians and the negative perceptions were known for all the things we are against. You Lost Me is the story of prodigals and nomads and the reason that people lose their faith. And this story is really the story of resilience, why people stay connected. And it's a super exciting look at you know why faithfulness happens even and especially in a, a, a culture like we have today, very post-Christian, very secular, very entertainment driven. Um, so it's a really fun story of looking at what's working in the lives of those who are most resiliently Christian. That's an interesting approach to take because I feel like a lot of research that we read or a lot of research that we recover uh, shows the information about people who leave the faith or leave the church mm-hmm. or, or right, who walk right. away for one reason or another. So having a look at uh, people who are particularly resilient to kind of cultural changes, I think is an interesting approach. And I, that's what I really wanted to know, because we've, we've talked about this. We've sort of speculated about this on the podcast and irrelevant a lot, but I wanted to know what the research says. Why do people, the people who stay, and obviously there's fewer of them now than there have been in past years, but why the people who stay, what makes them stick around? What, what, what sets them apart? And because and, I wanted to know, I guess, sort of the main thesis of the book. Here's what he said. Well, I think we could start at this idea of resilient faith. Um, and what would they, what we, you know, we interviewed resilient disciples. We actually, as a, you know, geeky researcher, we came up with like a definition of what resilience looks like. Which is, and, uh, well, well, there, there's, there. First, they're still engaged in church. They're still 
Um, they're still believe in, in the Bible. Uh, they actually believe in the death and resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, that that was an actual historical event and that it matters to them. And importantly, they say that they want their faith to impact and be expressed in culture in, in our society today to make a difference. So what's crazy is only 10%, only 10%, one in 10 people who grew up or experienced Christianity in a meaningful way as a teenager or a young adult. Um, we interviewed 18 to 29 year olds. It's a social sample. Only 10% qualified for those four characteristics, engaging church, authority scripture, uh, G- Jesus honoring and like faith, faith and culture. I thought that was really interesting that you could kind of chart what makes people stay, not just by what they do, but really what they believed, like the the mm-hmm. theological principles that make people more uh, more inclined to stay uh, plugged into the faith. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, and I was the the word kept coming up resilient he he used that a lot and, and i was curious about the definition what there as a researcher what his working definition of resilient really was not just what why are people staying but what what are they resilient from what's the thing that they're resisting what's that pull here's what he said they're both resilient from the cultural pressures they're not perfect people but they're I was amazed to see all the ways that they're different. They have better, stronger relationships. They have, um, they have, you know, just a whole different mindset about sacrifice. Um, again, they're not perfect. They struggle in a lot of ways, but it was really cool. I mean, the gospel is really working in the lives of these resilient disciples. Um, and, and importantly though, they're also resilient from the churchianity and the kind of what I call brand Jesus, um, they reject some of the things that I think um, the problems of American Christianity uh, bring. Again, they're not perfect. They're, they're, there's not there's not a silver lining or silver bullet here. But it's it's um, it's really cool to see how they're resilient. I was to say that that's encouraging to to see mm-hmm. that the the group that is resilient theologically and spiritually also is resilient to cultural shifts within the uh-huh. church. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And I think that's what makes the book so interesting is the way he's able to really chart those cultural shifts. I think people are sort of aware that our generation is is less religious than previous or say they're less religious than previous generations. But David can really t- figure out why that is and, and what that means and what the encouragement is and that the, the people who are resilient, what makes them that way and how in many ways they, they're more resilient than their than are previous generations were yeah. uh, something we've talked about a lot in here as well. So I, I love the book. I love this conversation with David. I would encourage people to, to go pick it up for sure. And uh, look forward to talking to, to David again, always really happy for the work that they do over at Barna, a really, really valuable resource for us. And uh, obviously for anybody who cares about the trends of faith and culture, Barna is the, the name and the game for that one. Yeah. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, McGee and me plus. Listening to They Say by Hoops. All right, so now it's time for we haven't done a game in a while, but but today was today was the day we decided to roll That's out right. the red carpet. We're gonna do a game. We've been talking about it all day, and now it's. A, I hope the kids are still awake, stuff them full of caffeine because this is gonna be the highlight of this entire episode. Jesse, <laughs> show us or tell us. Or I feel like I'm handing off to Vanna White here. Jesse. Show what we're playing for. (laughs) That's right. Well, Felicia and JD. Well, first, I want to introduce Felicia, uh, uh, and one of the the coolest people on our staff is joining us to show down with JD. And Felicia, I want to say that the stakes for this game could not be higher. You are playing for drumroll, please. Pride amongst podcast listeners. It's huge. <laughs> it is huge. And I'm nervous for you. I am I'm getting butterflies in my stomach. I'm nauseous just thinking about the pressure and the stakes here. Now, Felicia, I have a question for you. We talked about this show earlier. Uh, have are you familiar with a a a Christian TV show from probably 25 years ago that was mm. called McGee and Me? I am not. Actually, mm. yes. It Is that was, around the Bible man? No, it's pre Bible man. <laughs> pre Bible man. Yeah. Okay. No. Pre Bible man. Okay. So the premise of this show is a young, precocious 
uh, uh, young man named Nick uh, draws a a funny little character named McGee who jumps off the page and comes to life and they go mm-hmm. on little adventures and learn morality lessons and also lessons about faith because this show, McGee and Me, was produced by Focus on the Family. Oh. Now, I've been recently, like everyone else, digging into the Disney Plus archives mm-hmm. to find what gems are, are just waiting to, to be consumed <laughs> by by me. And uh, there's no McGee and me in there. But I did find a lot of old Disney shows that I've never seen before, including a show called Jonas. Right. Mm-hmm. And this show follows the Joe bros, the Jonas brothers. Oh. Uh, this is their Disney Channel sitcom. And while I was like going through the archives, I found that a lot of their Titan episode titling conventions were eerily similar to that of old episodes of McGee and me. So here's how this game will work. (laughs) You will each get the title of an episode. Okay. And it's either of an episode of the Disney Plus's Jonas, or it is an episode of McGee and me. And... Uh, because I want this to be, uh, you know, somewhat doable. I will actually read the episode description if you'd like, <laughs> if you need an extra hint. Okay. Love it. All right. So each of you will get four. The winner gets, uh, pride and they, uh, will and be shame. a champion in, in my heart forever. <laughs> Felicia, would you like to go first? Sure. I'll go okay. first. All right. The episode title is Skate expectations so here's the premise after trying to protect a geeky boy philip from Derek and his friends nick finds himself in a skateboarding contest even though he isn't that good at it so is that the premise for mcgee and me or is this one for the jonas brothers show the actual one for skate expectation the jonas brothers find themselves at the winter olympics for a special performance however after a freak injury to the american ice skaters they must compete against a team of soviet pop stars called the Kremlin crew. <laughs> Only one of those is the real skate expectations. Which one do you think it is, Felicia? The Jonas? Uh, no! I'm sorry. It's actually an episode of McGee and Me. That's okay. That's okay. That We're just getting one. warmed up. It All was. Right. It had a green he, cover. He always trash bags. I thought it was the coolest yeah. thing. Yeah, the garbage can falls over and he's like, I don't know what to do. And then he always over. See, this is just a setup. I'm just doing this so JD can start to feel cocky (laughs) and then just blow it. I like your strategy. Behold how easily he falls into your web. Like a billiards billiards hall hustler. Like, oh, lose a couple to get him confident. I like it. I like it. I like it. Okay. Okay, which I think getting hustled in a billiards hall was also an episode of McGee and me. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Episode title, A Star in the Breaking. So uh, here's here's your options here, J.D. Nick, his mom and his cartoon pal McGee learn a lesson in humility uh, when the fame and popularity of being on a game show goes to Nick's head or the or a star in the breaking the younger fourth bonus jonas brother writes a breakout <laughs> single and threatens his older brother's fame which one is real this is mcgee and me unbelievable you are yeah. correct yeah okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the right. cover he was standing in a uh, in a black suit with a black tie in front of a red curtain with his arms crossed okay okay wow. fair enough fair enough right. bonus points no, no bonus, bonus points <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, uh, Felicia. This okay. episode is called The Ding You Do. The Ding You Do. Here's the premise. Joe finds that it's rough being a member of Jonas when he develops a crush on a cello player who dislikes rock stars, so he learns to play the triangle in an orchestra. Or McGee and Nick learn a tough lesson about what it means to be a good neighbor after getting caught up in games of Ding Dong Ditch. That went way too far. <laughs> the ding you do. Which one of those is the actual premise of a show? Mm. You sure it's not the way you do the ding you do? Yeah, it could be. It could be, to be fair. You get a bonus point, I think, for, for that. You know, um, I'm going to go with Jonas. You are correct. Yeah, I'm giving Woo! you the bonus point because you made the episode title even better. We got ourselves a tie ball game, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, no! <laughs> All right. All right, J.D. You think you're tough? You think you're tough? (laughs) 
Have you ever heard of an episode called Twister and Shout? <laughs> Twister and Shout? Is it when the kids face the news of impending tornado? In the process, they deal with fear and faith in God. Or the Jonas Brothers become the face of a new Weather Channel emergency notification system called Brothers Keeper. Which one is Twister and Shout? <laughs> oh, man. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. This could be a tricky one because I distinctly remember a tornado themed episode of McGee and me when all when there's a tornado that comes down the road. But all it does is like smash a window. Mm. But I don't remember the title of it. Mm. Oh, so what is it? Twister and shout. I'm going to go Jonas. I'm sorry. You should have gone with your no! first instinct. Oh. He is wrong. Felicia, you can take the lead right here. Can I take the question? <laughs> What's that? Can I take the question he just oh, had? Steal it? Yes. Yes. Steal it. Steal it. Take the lead. And you got to tell me. That was really <laughs> called Twister and Shout. Man. Yeah, I remember you, that episode. I, yeah. All right. How about this? All these one? are familiar to me. <laughs> how about this one? The person who wrote, I'm pretty sure the person who wrote these episode titles are the same people same person, for, eat, yeah. for, for both shows. This one's called A Wasabi Story. Not a sob story. A wasabi story. All right, here are the two premises. As a quote-unquote joke, McGee replaces a tub of green sherbet at the end of a sushi sushi restaurant buffet with wasabi. When a family member is hospitalized because of the prank, McGee learns a tough life lesson about food allergies. Or... Vanessa arranges a double date with Stella and Ben, who are evidently characters on Jonas, with her and Joe to have a world famous sushi chef come over and cook for them. But things get awkward when our occurring events leads to Ben and Vanessa finding out that Joe and Stella still have feeling for each other. That's a tangled web they're weaving over there on Jonas. Is it Jonas or McGee and me for a wasabi story? You know, I'm going to go with McGee and me for this one. I'm sorry. As much as an episode about food allergies would have done well. No, this is the the 90s. We didn't have food allergies then. You know, that's true. Wasabi would make me cry, so definitely. Dang it. I I, I still think Felicia's winning. I think you're going to have to. (laughs) Here's the deal. Regardless of the points, Felicia is definitely winning. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, JD, this your one's called childhood. <laughs> yeah, much better than anyone who has to watch these shows. <laughs> this, JD, this one's called Cold Shoulder. Uh, uh, is it the Jonas Brothers? Kevin's old girlfriend has joined their school, but the kids in her school make fun of her because they find her eccentric. Or the popular kids pick on Nick mainly because he spends most of his time talking to an invisible, tiny, animated man <laughs> and lecturing, lecturing everyone on basic moral principles. It's called Cold Shoulder. Which one is the real one? That's Jonas Brothers. That is all Jonas. Okay. Yeah. That okay. is, you are correct. All right. You know what, uh, uh, Felicia? I feel like this should be the all or nothing for the win question. Oh, man. How do you feel about this? Do you, would you like, how about this? I'll give you the choice. Would you like to take the for the win question or do you want JD to take it? I think take you should for bet the on lose yourself question. Yeah, yeah. I think it should definitely be all for the win. Okay. And um, is it a really hard question? What? <laughs> I think it's a good question. I think <laughs> you're making the right choice by going all for the win here. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. Okay. This I episode, have nothing to lose this episode anyway. got dark. Okay. This one is called The Tale of the Haunted Firehouse. All right. The Tale of the Haunted Firehouse. And here's the descriptions. For the Jonas Brothers, when Kevin thinks there's a ghost in the firehouse, he enlists Stella, Joe, and Nick to help him find it. They don't think there's there is a ghost. That is until Nick disappears. Or is it the episode of McGee and Me, one of the series' more graphic episodes, when Nick learns a tough life lesson about witchcraft after finding a Ouija board in the back of an abandoned firehouse, forcing McGee to conduct a violent exorcism? The tale of the haunted firehouse. Which one is real? Jonas. 
You are correct for the win, though I would pay to see that episode of McGee and Me. I want Yay. to see a very spooky. <laughs> Felicia, congratulations. I think Thank as you. a win, I think, what a You know, the last shall be the first. I just want to yeah. throw mm-hmm. that out there. Mm-hmm. I think, I think as, mm-hmm. as, as your prize, I think we need to track down the box set of McGee and Me and allow you to watch them for yourself. I think no, that's no, you're too kind. Please, please. I, have, I, I do not deserve that. <laughs> do you remember there was like a thing where like they did a few where he was at one age and then they like went away for a while yeah, and then, then they, he was way older and then he was way older and yeah. it just did not play as well yeah, like yeah just, i guess when you're a little kid having a cute little animated conscience yeah. pal could be kind of like a fun little quirk but but if you, it, once the voice drops and you, you yeah. see like shaving and everything yeah, yeah, then yeah. it really then you're just like uh, this guy's kind of weird to, yeah it's time to have, stop talking to the invisible little man <laughs> Right. Like, it's yeah. just let's, let's yeah. just move on here. Well, Felicia, we'll try to get you those VHS tapes, it's, and and hopefully, I, I don't know uh, if you have a VHS player, but oh, something to the play music. them so that you can enjoy them. You know? Thank you, guys. The music. Thanks, Felicia. You're awesome. Right now, there's a Rube Goldberg machine activating in order to sharpen his pencil. <laughs> oh, this does sound pretty exciting. Just the music. Well, thank you very much. First of all, to the big winner of the day, Felicia. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate having <laughs> you on the podcast. We got to bring you back soon to keep putting John David back in his place. Yeah, uh, <laughs> keep giving John David L's on the board. That's <laughs> <laughs> hey, also thanks to David Kinneman. Uh, Faith for Exiles: Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon is out now. Please pick it up. It's a super interesting book. Thank you to Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com relevant for free trial and when you're ready to launch your site use the offer code relevant to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain squarespace.com slash relevant also make sure you subscribe to relevant daily that's our daily podcast where i bring you the top three stories that happened at the intersection of faith and culture that you need to know about and with that we'll wrap it up i'm tyler huckabee i'm Chandler string i'm jesse carey john david harris we'll see you next time thanks everybody for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from The Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. I'm going to give you glue and macaroni. So really make this thing pop. Relevant Podcast Network.